When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Episode number 67 of Unfermettable, where we take a look at some of the less heralded Mets in our beloved franchise's quirky history, as to us, every player who dons the orange and blue is, in some way, unfermettable. Now, last week, and into this, perhaps the only good thing the Mets have had going was the recent Jerry Kuzman number retirement ceremony. There's been a lot of interesting debate on this topic on AmazonAvenue.com and out there in the world and on the Twitter. And you know, personally, while I don't want the Mets to go in the Yankee direction of retiring the number of every player who has a good five to seven year stretch with the team, I do think this was a good and slightly overdue thing. And you know, making the Hall of Fame seems like slightly too high a bar for a number retirement. I, I understand the viewpoint of wanting to keep it special, but you know, just having only the two players who made the Hall of Fame as active players, the only ones who have their retire. I mean, to me, that's like that statue creation. You know, when you make the Hall of Fame, those don't have to be the only people who get their numbers retired. All of which is essentially to say that I think, like most Met fans, save perhaps some of the utterly joyless ones. I, l- I hope that the next number retired might be that of the most recent captain of our franchise, David Wright, and that number five will be the next one to go up to the rafters. So today I thought we'd look at a very brief Met, or someone who wore the Met uniform very briefly, who I nevertheless remember well because of the era he played, and had a better career than I ever realized after leaving the Mets, and had an interesting role in David Wright's fandom and his future with the Mets. Today's we're talking about Mr. Randy Milligan. So, <clears throat> Randall Andre Milligan was born November 27th, 1961, in San Diego, California, and he grew up, uh, spent his whole life in San Diego, or at least I, I can't guarantee you that, but he grew up there. He played high school ball in San Diego and into college at San Diego Mesa College. He was drafted by the Mets in the less prestigious 
January draft, uh, which was still held back then in 1981. He was the third overall pick in that draft. So I believe that would be a little after Frank Cashin took over. That was 1980, if I'm not mistaken. But from 1981 through 1986, Milligan slowly but steadily made his way up through a minor league organization that, under Cashin's stewardship, uh, gradually became a stacked system. And Milligan was surely lost very much amidst the goodens and strawberries that got added to that system through the draft, and players who were added via trade, such as Ron Darling, etc., And he actually morphed into a very different kind of player after he was drafted as he filled out into his body. And his Major League Baseball nickname was Moose, which would indicate the type of body and player I think you would imagine is more of a lumbering, power-hitting type. But at age 19 in the Class A Sally League in low A, Milligan hit seven home runs and he stole 49 out of 54 bases. By the time he was a major league player, on the other hand, uh, his career spanned parts of eight seasons, over which he would hit 70 home runs, but steal only 16 bases. And in fact, he was caught stealing 18 times. So the speed would not be the calling card of the moose. Rather, his calling card was something that was not entirely appreciated in his day the way it is today, his exceptional batting eye. And, you know, probably speaks to how he was an underappreciated player who didn't perhaps get enough of an opportunity uh, in his career after leaving the Mets. Uh, Aside from a down second season in professional ball in 1982, between 1981 and 1986, from as Milligan made his way up from A to AAA, the lowest on-base percentage he recorded in any season was 394. And it was routinely uh, just you know, back of the envelope math. I'd say it averaged. He averaged about a 420 on base percentage. That was uh, pretty average for him at each stop along the way in the minor leagues. Just as a sample or example, in uh, 1985 in Double A Jackson, at the age of 23, at about the league average age for Double A, uh, Milligan hit uh, 22 doubles, 13 homers, 77 RBIs. Uh, but his slash line was 309 batting average, 394 on base, 476 slugging percentage. However, the speed had dissipated. Those 13 homers were the first time he hit in double-digit homers, and his he never had an immense amount of defensive prowess, and by that time he had moved to first base. So in the particularly in the traditional scouting sense, he was you know, a not young or age-appropriate aging first-base prospect without the power for the position, and again, uh, flashing a skill that, you know, not that people disdained walks, but probably wasn't appreciated as much as it is now in the pre-Moneyball era in which Milligan played. So entering the 1987 season, so at that point Milligan had been in the organization for six years, he was not on the team's 40-man roster. I assume at that point he would have had to have been exposed to Rule 5 draft. Uh, no one 
expressed any interest. Uh, he wasn't listed in the team's press guide under non-roster players in 1987. Granted, the 87 press guide might have been busy touting our world championship, but nonetheless, the point being, uh, Randy Milligan was not seen as an integral piece or a top prospect or of any kind entering the 1987 season. And he went on to just have a tremendous season for Tidewater in 1987. He missed winning the Triple Crown for the International League by two home runs. He had a 326 average, 103 RBIs, and 29 home runs. He won the Triple A, uh, the International League MVP, Rookie of the Year that season. Uh, he and he finally gained notice, although you know Milligan's. Uh, conundrum with the Mets was perhaps summed up. He was on a rookie prospect card for Scores 1988 baseball card set, uh, which I think was their first or second year they did baseball cards. I, it was when I was avidly collecting, and I was obsessed with the Mets and baseball cards, and I remember that card. I think probably still own it somewhere at my mom's house, and the what it reads on the back is quite prophetic. Unhappily, Randy is a first baseman on a team that has one of the best in baseball, Keith Hernandez. So Milligan did really not have a spot for the Mets. And frankly, by the time I got that card in 1988, uh, it's quite possible Milligan had already moved on from the Mets. He had certainly already had the Mets moment he would have had and passed it as he would get traded before the 88 season would begin. However, that 1987 season in AAA made a mark on one very young Mets fan growing up in nearby Norfolk, Virginia. As young David Wright, who would have been four and a half years old, uh, I would calculate, during that 1987 season, uh, I believe famously grew up a Mets fan due to the proximity of where he grew up to AAA Tidewater at the time. Uh, later called Norfolk, and he often cited Randy Milligan, uh, and then as he was older, Benny Agbayani as his favorite players growing up. In an interview, and I, I've seen him cite Milligan many times, but an interview I, I read recently preparing for this podcast where he was, I think it was when the Mets were first moving into City Field, and Wright was reminiscing about his Met tenure at that to that point already, and he said, you know, probably when I was younger, my favorite player was Randy Milligan. I remember as a really young kid at the old Met Park, before it was Harbor Park, I was out there with my parents just yelling moose, just screaming to get his attention. And, you know, it's not only that David was a fan of Randy Milligan, uh, after his Milligan's career was over, David would get a chance to meet his hero in what would be an auspicious moment for the Mets franchise. As for Milligan's time with the Met franchise, it was very brief and at an unhappy time. The 1987 International League MVP naturally earned a September call-up in 1987, but that call-up was to a team in the thick of an intense pennant race. After a rough start to their quest to try and go back-to-back in 1987, which I probably assumed was inevitable at the time, uh, you know, the Mets endured a lot in early 1987, Dwight Gooden's drug suspension, a lot of injuries, and for much of the season, the Mets lagged behind their nemesis, the resurgent evil Cardinals, uh, back after taking most of 1986 off to be a thorn in our side in 1987. 
However, later in the year, the pieces all seemed to be coming together for the Mets. They got hot in the second half of the season, uh, came roaring back into contention, and on September 9th, the Mets won, the Cardinals lost, the Mets closed within a game and a half of the first-place Cardinals, with St. Louis to coming into Shea Stadium for a three-game series, and momentum seeming to clearly be on the Mets' side. So... The series would start on September 11th of 1987, and, uh, you know, at that time in my youth, I very naively, looking back now, believe that would be the worst September 11th of my life. The Mets led the Cardinals 4-1 going into the ninth inning that game, one inning away from cutting the lead to a half game with Doc Gooden on the mound the next day. Two outs, one on, 4-1 lead. Roger McDowell surrendered an RBI single to Willie McGee, which brought up Terry Pendleton, who hit one of the more notorious homers in Mets history, to dead center, tying the game at four, and effectively, ultimately, ending the repeat dream. The Cardinals would score two runs in the 10th, and take the lead, extend the lead to two and a half, and September 12th, the next day, would be Randy Milligan's first game as a Met. Uh, the Cardinals pounded Doc Gooden early that night for five runs in the first inning, reclaiming the momentum, taking the series, and effectively putting the division and the repeat dreams out of our reach. With the Mets down 7 nothing in the bottom of the seventh, Milligan would come on to pinch hit with a runner on first and strike out in his Mets debut in a game in which the Mets would lose 8-1. to they would salvage the series finale in a Ferrick victory, but uh, again, the you know division was essentially lost as Randy Milligan's Major League Baseball career began. Milligan would make only two more in-game appearances for the Mets in 1987. Down the stretch, he would appear as a pinch runner in a 10-2 victory, and then again in one of the last games of the series, I think game 160, a series that looked like it could have been for all the marbles against the Cardinals, but was just garbage time. He appeared as a pinch hitter and did what he kind of did best as a major league ball player, drew a walk, the only time he would earn his way on base in a Met uniform. For in spring training of 1988, Milligan would be traded to Pittsburgh with Scott Henlon for reliever Tim Drummond, and any catcher the Mets had some interest in named Mackie Sasser. Milligan might have hoped he'd get more of an opportunity with the up-and-coming Pirates, uh, but his playing time there was sporadic. He got in 40 games, uh, 82 at-bats, 103 plate appearances. He did record you know, a lot of his Major League firsts there. He had his first career home run on April 30th, 1988 against the San Diego Padres, hitting a home run off of Candy Sierra. The pirate team was on an upswing. They had you know, that fabulous young outfield of Bonds, Bonilla, and Andy Van Slyke, and Milligan uh, got shipped away after the 88 season, as seemed to be his uh, his career path. You know, he'd get shipped away from good teams and get more playing time on bad teams for the most part. Uh, after the 88 season, he got traded to the Baltimore Orioles, where he would start to get semi-regular to regular playing time for a poor Oriole team. 
The Orioles were coming off a 54 and 107 season in 1988, so Milligan uh, got in placed in as their primary first baseman, and he responded in his first full season of his career with a solid year as their primary first baseman, 12 homers, 45 RBIs, a 268, 394, 458 slash line, a 144 OPS plus, and actually their third best player, according to Baseball Reference War, in a surprising 89 season in which they went 87 and 75. In 90, the team itself uh, stepped back in Baltimore, but Milligan had probably his best professional career at the age of 28. He had 20 homers, uh, 60 RBIs, and yeah, an incredibly impressive 88 walk, 68 strikeout uh, Walk strikeout ratio, 265 batting average, but a 408 on base percentage, 900 OPS, 155 OPS plus. And for that excellent season, Milligan was rewarded with uh, kind of losing his job, or at least uh, supposedly getting supplanted at first base as the Orioles brought in uh, slugger Glenn Davis and asked Milligan to try and learn left field which he struggled with mightily. Uh, however, Davis struggled with injuries, and Milligan was qu- quickly back to first base, where he was the Orioles' first baseman, or primary first baseman again, in 91. Uh, by the end of the 92 season, Baltimore had a young first base prospect, David Segui, who they were excited about, so they did not express interest in re-signing Milligan. He would sign with the Reds prior to the 93 season, who would trade him across state to Cleveland. Uh, He got very sporadic playing time for either team in 93. So after four years in Baltimore, where Milligan had a 258, 388, 423 slash line and a 130 OPS plus, he was not wanted in Baltimore and pretty much already a journeyman at the age of 31. Milligan finally found himself on a good team in his final major league season, but it would end anticlimactically for him and for all baseball fans, as in the 93 offseason he was traded to the Montreal Expos. Of course, the Expos team of the Moises Alou, Marquise Grissom, Larry Walker outfield, Ken Hill, and a young Pedro Martinez on the hill, uh, 74 and 40 in August, when and looking like a short thing for the playoffs, an absolute short thing with the dawning, the proposed dawning of the wild card, and looking to take the division from the mighty Atlanta Braves, when of course Major League Baseball strike hit and ended those hopes, and actually effectively ended Randy Miller's Major League Baseball career. He had only 98 plate appearances over. 47 games for that Expos team. Their primary first baseman was a 21-year-old young up-and-coming star named Cliff Floyd, but he did provide a proverbial veteran presence. And in fact, Floyd in interviews often cited Milligan as one of the one of the important influences of his career. The always impressive and gregarious and wonderful Floyd when he was with the Mets uh, interviewed said that it was Milligan, Ken Hill, Grissom, Delano DeShields. Those were the players who helped make him who he was as a young player. 
So Milligan's professional baseball career would sadly end with the 94 strike. He would not play another professional game, although not his career in baseball, as we would discuss. Uh, There's a great Fangraphs article I found on Milligan called The Tale of the Forgotten Moose by Patrick Dubuque, uh, which uh, goes to great length about the way Milligan was somewhat unappreciated and a lot of little details, such as the fact that before that season with the Expos, Milligan was, uh, at least at the time that was written, and I, I'm going to guess probably the last time ever, he was the last player to get his plate cut through arbitration, uh, He as he made $35,000 less than the previous year, despite the fact that he had posted a 133 WRC plus the previous season, although again, no one knew what that stat meant in 1994, or was calculating it at all. Most articles that you can find and look up on Milligan uh, refer to him either being traded or the fact that he was considered trade bait uh, for the team that he was currently on. All this, again, for a player who, you, you know, had a skill that was not appreciated at the time and who clearly was a person and a player who was unappreciated, you know, both from uh, players citing him as an influence and, uh, again, Dubuque found this great stories about how Milligan created charities uh, in inner city Baltimore when he played there and that he his primary worry about being traded was that who would maintain his charities if, if and when he was traded and left Baltimore. And again, from a statistical point of view, someone who I, even though I watched a lot of baseball back then, barely remembered, had that lengthy of a career after leaving the Mets. And again, as we said, his Met career consisted of appearing in three games with two plate appearances and actually only one official at bat uh, with you know pinch running appearance, a walk, and a strikeout in 1987. Uh, Milligan went on to record 2,118 professional at bats in his career. Uh, he hit 70 homers, and he would have a 261 batting average, but an astonishing 391 on base percentage. 420 slugging, which of course is an 810 OPS, and for his career, a 127 OPS plus, and according to baseball reference, 13.5 war he was worth over those eight seasons. At the time, uh, Dubuque had written that, written that aforementioned article in 2014. Milligan, in his career, was ranked 14th in career walk rate. Uh, 17.2% of it at bats and in a walk which slotted him even with Mark McGuire and just a slot below Mickey Mantle so at least in one place Milligan was in an auspicious list of baseball greats but Milligan would stay in the world of baseball primarily in the world of scouting and he would start his scouting career with his original team with the New York Mets his beat would be in and around that Baltimore area where he spent the bulk of his major league career, or the best parts of his major league career. And in fact, it was Randy Milligan as a Mets scout who officially signed Norfolk, Virginia's three-time high school All-State player, the Virginia State Player of the Year in 2001, and future Met great David Wright, to his Met contract, Milligan uh, right signed with the player that he idolized as a young, young man playing 
uh, watching the Mets minor league affiliate in Tidewater. So while he may have only had appeared in three games and had two plate appearances as a Met, Randy Milligan's contribution to the New York Mets organization is almost immeasurable in his signing of the one and only David Wright. Milligan has stayed in scouting, and at the last most recent information I could find, he is currently a scout with the Baltimore Orioles. The Moose sounds like an underappreciated man, certainly an underappreciated baseball player, and for his contri- any contributions he made to bringing David Wright into the fold of the orange and blue in particular, Randy Milligan is truly, truly unformidable. Thank you for taking the time to listen to Unformidable. Please go to AmazonAvenue.com for more Mets-related content. Follow Amazon Avenue on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find this podcast and all of our Amazon pods wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe, leave us reviews. Original music by Bunga. I'm on Twitter at WolfRR, W-O-L-F-F-R-R, and the show is at Unformidable. Thank you, and as always, let's go, man.